Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Father, we thank you for uh, just all that you're doing in this place. We thank you for just what you're doing in our lives personally. Lord, we do thank you that we are saved. We thank you that our names are written in the book of life. And Lord, your word says that we should rejoice over that more than anything else, more than any success in ministry or other aspects of our life. We should rejoice that our names are written. And they're written by you in blood. And it means that we're, we're going to heaven and we have a hope for this world. That we receive forgiveness and we've made you Lord. And we thank you for that. We thank you that that message is to go out from here um, as much as possible. That others too might come to know you in the way that we know you. And Lord, we look and long for the day when many, many others will know you. Even as we see those crowds on that video, many would know you. They would know the same uh, purpose and hope and freedom that we have found in Jesus. We ask it in your name. Amen. Just going to read a passage from Matthew. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I was in a meeting yesterday with various other leaders. It was up in Enfield. Enfield is where uh, Toppy Collioso uh, uh, leads a church, and, and Toppy oversees our church as part of the New Frontiers Network of churches. And he had gathered just a small group of church leaders. And we were being addressed by a guy called John Stevens who oversees a particular network of churches. And he was talking about, interestingly enough, the subject of evangelism, which is where we're sort of going over the next few months. And um, he gave out a number of statistics. One that stood out for me was this. He said that in the most recent census or, or, or something, I think it was the most recent census, uh, 10% of the UK... Uh, go to church. And um, the attendance in every uh, denomination of church is in sharp decline, apart from in evangelical churches, which is a church like ours, churches who feel like have a quite an orthodox belief in, in God and the Bible, apart from in evangelical churches where there is 0% growth. And at times you think 0% growth, well, that's not very much, and that doesn't sound very good. But uh, what it shows is that in the evangelical churches, if nothing else, in the sharp decline in Christianity and people going to church, they've held their own. They've held their own. And uh, he also said that the average age of an Anglican, not, okay, just the average age of an Anglican in the country is 64. 64. 
we can sometimes get a distorted picture of these things because, you know, we live in London, you know, there's a church that's up the road, which is a couple of thousand people, and we can think to ourselves, oh, wow, you know, church is great. But in reality, all over the country, it's a very different picture. He said that evangelical Christianity represents three and at most to five percent of Christians in the UK. Three to five percent of Christians in the UK. So that's a very small percentage. Christians don't make up a large percentage of the population. 59% of uh, people in the UK claim to be Christian, but some of them are simply saying that as opposed to, well, I'm not a Muslim, so I'm a Christian. They're not necessarily saying that they believe in Jesus. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It's interesting when Jesus looked on the crowds, he saw the crowds as harassed and helpless. We've, we heard last week when Phil spoke, he talked about Jesus watching people. He watched how you gave. Here, he just watches the crowds, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In another way, you could describe them as directionless, leaderless. And he had compassion on them. It's interesting what he says his disciples are to do. He doesn't tell his disciples, therefore, go out into the crowd and reach as many of them as you can. He doesn't say that to his disciples. He tells them to ask. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. When I read this scripture and I was thinking about today, I I couldn't help but think about the crowds that I see when I come into Brixton uh, to work every day and I go on a prayer walk, a regularly prayer walk around this area and just the crowds, the crowds of people. Uh, I'm sure if you could see a, have a bird's eye view of them, they would just look like ants streaming down a hole if you stood outside Brixton Tube at 8 a.m. On a, on a sort of a Monday morning or a Tuesday morning. It's hundreds, thousands of people all just uh, making their way to work. And, and Jesus says they're like sheep without a shepherd. And sometimes they do look harassed and helpless. They don't always look harassed and helpless. Sometimes they do. But it can also be an overwhelming sight because you think to yourself, what can we do? What sort of impact can we have on such a crowd of people? Well, what Jesus says we are to do is to ask. Ask the Lord of the harvest to pray. He said we should ask. He encourages his disciples, he encourages us to ask, to pray. And then he says, you ask the Lord of the harvest. So it's not, it's not that you're asking, you know, God, you need to help me to be able to help them. You ask him because he's the one that provides all the resources, but he's, he's also the Lord. He's also over the harvest. What prayer does, and this is why I think Jesus asks us to pray, is it points us to God and it reminds us that this is about him. It's not about us. What we can often do as Christians is forget that. Forget that God is sovereignly in control of the harvest. The first part of the strategy for evangelism is to pray. It's to pray. He tells us to 
to ask, and he tells us even what to ask. We should ask that he would send workers into his harvest field. You see, Brixton is an area, and the surrounding area, it's all changing. I, don't, I live like a couple of miles outside of Brixton, and, and my area is partly changing because Brixton's changing. So my, my house is worth more than it was. <laughs> Not because we've done it up, because actually we haven't done it up, as you'll see this afternoon if you're coming, but, but simply because places like Brixton are becoming more expensive to live, so people are just moving further out. And then they end up out where I am, and the house prices go up. It's a changing area. It's got a rich and diverse makeup, but it also has a history. If you know anything about the history of Brixton, the history of Brixton requires some healing and some restoration. It's got a difficult history, and the danger is that as it changes, we forget the history and we just move on. But actually, God tells us to ask. One of the things that I felt as I was prayer walking, it was a little bit of a revelation to me. It might not be to you, but it was to me. I'm, I'm prayer walking around and I, and I was just thinking and praying and I felt the Holy Spirit show me a couple of things. And he, he showed me that the crowd, you know, there was this crowd that, that Jesus had compassion on and he had compassion on the whole crowd. He didn't just have compassion on the vulnerable, although he does have that. He had compassion on the whole crowd. But it, he also just showed me what, became a, what I became aware of was that some of that crowd are part of the workers. They're part of the people that God is calling to help heal and restore and to bring in others into his harvest field. They're part of the workers. That crowd is not just the harvest. Some of those are part of the workers that one day they would be no longer harassed and helpless, but full of mercy and grace and compassion and grateful to God for saving them. And then that they would be sent back out into the harvest field. It's interesting, when I talked about um, that uh, statistic at the beginning of, of there's 0% growth in evangelical Christianity, which is good, uh, because in other areas of Christianity it's decline. Most of that... Um, the reason that that's stable in evangelical Christianity is actually because a lot of Christians from other countries have come to this country. A lot of evangelical Christians. So where we have 3 to 5% evangelical Christians in the UK, in a place like Kenya, there's 48% evangelical Christians. Now, I could make a similar comment as I did about people saying they're Christian, 59% of the nation saying they're Christian. What that quite means, who knows, but... The 48% who would at least know and understand the gospel, whether they lived by it. You see, there is a fundamental link in the Bible between evangelism and prayer. Evangelism and prayer. And we see it in these verses, we, and we're going to be looking at evangelism and prayer. It's quite interesting. We're doing that at this, day, at this point. You know, I had that meeting yesterday that I wasn't expecting to be about evangelism. You know, David Cameron's encouraging us to be evangelists and get out there and tell people about Jesus. He didn't quite say that, but that was behind it, I'm sure. Sometimes the best form of evangelism is prayer because Jesus says that we should ask. When we link prayer to evangelism, we recognise God's involvement in both. It's not like I pray and then I run and I do stuff. Actually, God is involved in both. It's not just our strategy, it's his. So as a church, how do we engage 
with the harvest field. You would have seen our, our mission statement on the end of that video. And that video just shows some of the things that we are involved in. We're involved in the food bank. Um, actually, our food bank is the busiest in London. It's the busiest food bank, thanks to John and others who are just really getting out and helping uh, people on the streets of Brixton and Norwood and other places like that. That's one of the ways that we serve in this community. Another way is our, our youth group that we run at the Clapham Youth Centre, which are Afwa leads. It's, again, just gathering young people from this area and introducing them to Jesus. Part of that, we take them to New Day. Why do we take them to New Day? From my perspective, that encouragement is because it was at a place like New Day that I got to understand not just the gospel, not just about Jesus, but about his mission about the church, about this big picture that God had for what he was doing. And then we run, we were involved in an Alpha group last year. And that Alpha group has become an Alpha Plus group. And that group has been involved really in discipling people, some of whom haven't yet come through to faith. They're just still on that journey. Others have come through to faith. They're talking about baptism. They're talking about some great things that God is at work in their lives. I've appreciated when Pauline's talked about in her notices, I know she has to bribe you with sweets to talk about the mission statement, uh, but bribe you she does, and uh, remember some of it we do, but talking about what God has called us to do. You see, we're not in Brixton because I at some point thought, oh, let's move to Brixton, that would be a good place to do, that would be a good place to go. I did, we never thought that as a church. You know if you came on that journey that it was God that led us, to this place. We didn't choose to. Some of us moved to other places at the same time we were moving to Brixton. There was no plan for this. <coughs> but that isn't a problem because God has just widened the harvest field. We can still reach people where we live in order to build the kingdom of God where we are. We have these various ways to serve. Our motivation for serving is to build the church. We have to have that in our minds. The motivation for serving is to build the church. And I just want to say some very brief things about the church. Because sometimes we can be motivated to serve for lots and lots of other reasons. But actually, God's ultimate way was to build the church. And through the church, that he was going to reach people. So I'm just going to mention a couple of things. First of all, I want to look at the church the foundation of the church. It's simply this. You'll know Peter, when he said um, in Matthew, he talks about when Jesus says to the disciples, who do people say I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. And, and then he says, you'll be Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I will build my church. You see, the cornerstone of the church is the simple confession that we make that Jesus is Lord. Yeah, That's how you become a Christian. That's what the church is built on. The church isn't built on anything else. It's built on this confession that we make that, that Jesus is Lord. It tells us in Romans uh, 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yeah? 
And that's how you join the church. You, you don't join the church simply by coming along on a Sunday and sitting down or learning some songs or, or whatever. You join the church, um, really the disciples of Christ, by becoming a Christian. You become a Christian by the confession, Jesus is Lord. And that he's started this new kingdom. And the church is made up of people who make that confession. When you surrender your will and your ways to him and you allow him to direct, guide and lead your life. When Jesus came to earth, he gathered a people who all recognised who he was. And he continues to do that. Gather people who recognise who he is and that their role then is to take that message out to others. The church is built on confession. You've never made that confession this morning. Maybe you've never actually said, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. You've never turned away from your old way of life to follow him. At the end of this meeting, maybe you can make that confession today. Then just a couple of images that the Bible paints of the church. The, the first image is it paints the church as a body. It talks about in Ephesians 5 verse 23, uh, Christ is the head of the church, his body. So Jesus is the foundation. The foundation is this revelation that he is Lord, but he's also the head of the church. Yeah. So if you like, he runs right through the church. If Jesus comes out of the church, it ceases to be the church. He is the head of the church, his body. When it describes it as a body, it says two things. That we all have a part to play because the body is made up of many, many different parts that are all connected together and are, are useful and they work. Um, and also, it's a, it's a living organism. That the church isn't the building that you meet in, thankfully, because we meet in a canteen in Lambeth College. Yeah? The church isn't the building that you meet in. It's a spiritual house. God is building a spiritual house. In, in 1 Peter 2, it talks about that he's, that he's chosen living stones being built together. And then the second image, just to mention, is the church is seen as a, as a household, as a, as a family. In Ephesians 2, it says, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. In him, that is Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Once again, at the heart of it, at the heart of this house, is Jesus. So Jesus is the heart of the church. He's the foundation, he's the centre point, and he's the head. And we build the church around him, and for him, and through him. Part of building the church involves evangelism. Part of building the church involves going out. Part of building the church is bringing in the harvest, is acting as a worker. That's part of building the church. Because people won't naturally come to that place of confession that Jesus is Lord. That's not like a natural thing. You won't just have a conversation with people and say, oh, if you just say this, it'll be fine. Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a heart thing. It's a revelation thing. When the Bible says no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit, obviously people, you can just say those words, can't you? Anyone could just say Jesus is Lord. But you can't say Jesus is Lord in terms of understanding that as him being Lord of your life unless the Holy Spirit unctions you to do that. You just can't do it. 
It won't make any, it won't make any sense. It won't mean anything. You'll be speaking words that don't mean anything. But when you say Jesus is Lord from the heart, what that means is that he becomes literally your boss. He determines your future. He determines your direction. You go to him and you, and you get involved in the things that he's involved in rather than the things that you're, you want to be involved in. And it's possible to do that because when Jesus was at that moment in Gethsemane, there was a moment where Jesus could choose. Do I do my will or do I do his will? He had a choice. He had a choice. Do I do my will or do I do his will? And when you think about that choice, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what his will would have looked like. I imagine it would have looked like he would have walked out of Gethsemane and got around the sort of soldiers and he wouldn't have been arrested and beaten and crucified. I imagine that would have been his will. But he says, not my will, but your will be done. He surrendered his will to God. And when we become Christians, we surrender our will to him. And part of that is helping others find it. As I said uh, earlier on, and as the video showed, we're, we're involved as a church in serving in many different ways in this community with lots of other churches. And it, it's a wonderful thing to do when, when churches come together and they serve together. And this week, there's a couple of us who are meeting to plan the um, Brixton Churches Together sort of uh, annual general celebration, we'll call it. It's an annual, it's an AGM really. Um, and, and what we're going to do, we're just looking at all the different things that God has done through the churches this last year. And it's really, really encouraging. There are so many different things that we've been involved in and that churches are involved in. And I want to commend those things. And I love doing those things. One of the things that I heard yesterday was that, uh, how many of you have ever heard of uh, Hope 08? Have you ever heard of Hope 08? Just put your hands up. No. Just. Hope 08 is a, uh, it's like a Christian sort of, um, I suppose, initiative to, to serve the community, you know, and, and I'm sure to bring the light and the love of Jesus to the community. And the leader of Hope 08, and there's, I think there's a Hope 14, actually. There's a, the leader of Hope 08 was, was in a conversation, and he said, um, for all the cars that we washed, the gardens that we cleared, and the good works that we've done, somehow we've lost the words. We've lost the words. We, we, we've lost, if you like, the, the gospel is all of those things. And we love to do those things. We love to serve in that way. But there are these words. Jesus is Lord. There are these words that if you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart, you will be saved. Those words or words like them. They matter. They're part of the gospel. Yeah? The church wasn't just about doing the good works. It was about proclaiming the gospel. For us, building the church must include evangelism. But I know, because I've been a Christian for a number of years, that when I say those words evangelism, all sorts of thoughts and all sorts of screen saves come up for us. Some of us are thinking, oh, okay, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I, I settled a long time ago that I'm not an evangelist. So, you know, that's, that's that. So thanks for this, but I'm not an evangelist. 
For others of us, we're just like, yeah, but I'm just so busy. How on earth can I be an evangelist as well? You can, how can I do evangelism as well as everything else? And I know all of those thoughts because I have them myself. But how do we do this? How do we ensure that we don't lose the words? How do we ensure that we don't just put food on someone's table, but we can put we can introduce her to the bread of life. You remember that video of that woman and she'd been getting food from the food bank? Wouldn't it have been wonderful if one of her other confessions was, and you know what? I was introduced to Jesus and that's really made a difference to me. Wouldn't that have been a wonderful confession? How do we do it? There's a really practical way in which I think I, w- I want us to do it. Because I could say, well, I can give you some leaflets and let's all run down to Brixton and hand them out. Or whenever I go prayer walking, there's a guy that stands outside the tube with his arm in the air and he's preaching. Yeah? And there are other people who preach, but he's there every morning, 8 o'clock, he's preaching. I'm thinking, obviously, God calls people to do different things. And I've talked about the crowd, that, that, that group of people that are out there Um, But sometimes we can look at the crowd and think that's just a little bit like, how do we do that? Ask the Lord of the harvest, it says. But there's another part of the harvest field that I just want to talk about. There's another group of people that we are able to reach, some of whom are meant to be workers alongside you. And this group is people that we know. People that we know. I didn't ask John to tell that story at the beginning, but he tells the story of, in effect, his boss, and he tells of coming home and, and, and praying for him. And he wouldn't necessarily describe his boss necessarily as his friend. So I'm not talking about people who are our friends. I'm talking about simply people that we know. People that we know. And that actually, we don't know who God's going to work on. We don't know who might be saved. We don't know when people might be saved or how they might be reached. But most of us know some people. And what I mean by know is, you know, this is, you know, Johnny who lives at number 24 on your road. Or this is Bob who works in the shop around the corner and you just have got to know him. Or I think about me when I come to the bricks. This is Anthony who who manages the bricks. I, I, I know him. I know who he is. And you might have a list of people that you pray for, friends and family, and you're faithful in praying for them. And I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to have that list. But I wonder whether we could do something as a church. I wonder whether we could do something as a church. Because we're trying to to see the church as more than just for us. It's bigger than just us. It involves evangelism. But we need to find a way of doing that that's meaningful. And it's not just that we're going to pray for the thousands in the crowd. And so I wonder whether we could do this. People that you know that, uh, if you like, if you had a friend who, who lived not far from where you lived or maybe lived somewhere within the vicinity of, say, this local church where you come, and so people that you know who could reasonably be expected if they were searching after God or if they, were, if they came to faith could come to this church reasonably expected so they you know 
the reason I mention you know, the guy down at the bricks is because I know he lives in West Norwood. So if he, were, if he were searching after God, it wouldn't be unreasonable to invite him to an Alpha course in Brixton. It wouldn't be an unreasonable thing to do. Whereas if he said, oh, you know, I live in Wembley, I might go, well, I'm, you know, here's, here's an Alpha course in Wembley. Why don't you try it out? In fact, there was a guy who was on this particular Alpha course who was on that video. That's exactly what happened. Somebody said, somebody who lived in a different part of, the, uh, of, of London said, is there an Alpha course in your area? And, and why don't you go? And that guy came on Alpha, he got saved on Alpha, and he wants to be baptised. Because somebody had said that to him, like who lived somewhere else. So I'm asking, could we make a list, identify people who we know, who could reasonably be expected, if they were searching after God, or if they became a Christian, to come to Beacon? Can we identify them and begin to pray? So I'm not talking about, oh, I don't have any friends or I've got no work colleagues, but they might be your neighbour, they might be just someone you've bumped into, they might be other people that live in the area that you just know, they're not your best friend, but you just know who they are. Could we identify them as a church together? Could we agree to pray for them, as we did for Alpha last term? And could we, where possible, engage with them? And let me give you a really, really small example of engagement. So I'm not talking about you know, can I take my Bible and say, um, uh, Anthony, I was just thinking about you. I just wondered whether I'd just turn up some scriptures. No, because he would, that wouldn't work. Yeah, he's not there yet. But I have another friend as part of the, or another guy I know, I wouldn't even call him a friend, a guy I know, part of the badminton club that I'm in. And uh, uh, tragically, somebody from the badminton club died not that long ago. So I've been playing badminton down at Brixton, uh, it's now in Campbell, actually, for a couple of years now. been playing badminton with, with this group of people. Don't know them very well, but I go there every week. And one of the reasons I'm going there uh, and I'm praying is, is because of this. It's, it's a harvest field. Yeah, That's one of the reasons. I enjoy badminton as well. I don't know if I'm getting any better, but um, I'm, I'm enjoying going. Um, but one of them tragically died not that long ago. And I knew that within the group, there were a couple of guys who were particularly close to this guy. And these guys, some of them know I'm a pastor. Some of them don't know I'm a pastor. Um, for some of them, that would be an issue. For some of them, that probably wouldn't be an issue. But I knew for one of them who I knew, I, I just texted him and I said, heard about so-and-so, just so you know, I'm praying for you. And um, that was it. He texted back. I think He was clearly surprised to receive the text. He texted back. He said, oh, thank you, Owen. You know, really appreciate that. And then um, the last week, I was, I was hoping to go to the funeral, but I couldn't. The reasons why I couldn't get to the funeral. But I just texted him again and said, you know, I know the funeral is, is coming up. I'm just, just thinking about you. Just thinking about you. And he's not responded to that. But when I did see him at Badminton after the first text, it was just, there was a little bit of ice broken. It was a little bit warm, a little bit more sort of engaging than it might have been. And then over here... I pray. So over here, I'm praying for him. Over here, I'm just small, tiny, tiny bits of engagement. But, but it's somebody that I know who, if he were searching after God, if he were interested or open, he could reasonably be expected to come to Beacon just because of where he lives. He lives sort of local. And I'm talking about that type of person, that type of example. Pauline's got really excited recently, and she gets excited about lots of things, but she got really excited recently because um, 
what they've started on our road is like a neighbourhood watch thing. Yeah, so that excites Pauline, neighbourhood watch. So uh, I don't know what that's saying about me. Anyway, so anyway, a woman came to our house uh, a, few, a couple of weeks ago and she said, she knocked on the door. And we've always been trying to find a way in, uh, to, to reach our neighbours. We've genuinely been trying to do that. Every Christmas, the, all the neighbours who are immediately around us, we send them cards, we invite them over like to, to New Year's Eve. They never come, but they often send cards back. And, and, and we're just trying to get to know our neighbours and we get to know the people opposite. We feed their chickens and all that type of stuff. Um, anyway, uh, this woman comes up the road and she knocks on our door. And this was the first time this has ever happened. She said, she said is Pauline there? Is Pauline there? And I'm like, man, don't, no one's ever... Like, she asked for me. I'm like, me? What about me? She said, is Pauline there? I said, oh... Uh, and she t started to talk about this neighbourhood watching. I said, oh, uh, Pauline will be interested in that, but she's, she's busy right now. And then, uh, and so that was left. And then I think it was, anyway, it was yesterday or the day before Pauline said to me, I met Vicky at number 26. And Vicky's the lady from the neighbourhood watch thing. And she said, there's going to be a meeting and all the neighbours are going to be there. And we're like, right, we're going to be there. Yeah, we're going to be where the neighbours are. Why? Because... There's something in us that wants to reach. And we don't know them. If you, say, if you said to us, oh, you know, you need to reach out to your, to your friends, we'd go, well, uh, these people aren't our friends because we don't know them. But we do know Vicky at number 26. And so we can say God. And we do know David and Pauline at number 46. And we do know Phil and Eileen at number, <laughs> at number 50. Yeah, and we know these people, yeah, and so and we know the people opposite. Pauline knows the names. I don't know all the names. Yeah, but we're praying. It's slowly but surely, and we're praying. So we're not trying to go. Let's do a big sort of neighbourhood thing. Get them all in, and and you know tell them. About, we're not gonna, we're not there, but we are at the stage where we're saying, Father, we want to be a witness here. We want to be an example. We want to bring people to Jesus. We don't just want to be nice neighbours. We want these people to have the opportunity of finding you because of us. And where we live, they could, could reasonably be expected if they were seeking after God or they came to faith to come to this church. So we're going to identify people. We're going to pray for people. We're going to engage with people. The other thing we're going to do, I want to invite us to do as a church, and this is a big thing for us, is we're going to trust God with them. We're going to trust God with them. And what I'm talking about is our confidence is in God because we believe in him. We believe he's real. We believe he changes life. Our confidence is in the gospel because we believe the gospel brings hope because it's brought hope to us. Our confidence, and I'm not trying to is not in the church. It's not in the way we do church. It's not in, well, you know, we sing certain songs. I'm not sure my friends will like those songs, so I don't know about that. Oh, I don't know, how we, I don't know whether my friends will engage with that. that. That's not the thing to do when you're trying to reach people who need Jesus. The thing to do isn't to determine what they, oh, I'm not sure about that. The thing to do is, God, I'm going to bring them where I am and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that the seed that gets planted there might one day bear fruit. Even though, in, in my mind, they're thinking, oh, you know, what's all that about? But I'm going to trust that the seed that's planted there might bear fruit. 
I don't know what you, and I'm not asking for your opinion, but I don't know what you sometimes think about worship. But we've got someone who sometimes comes uh, to our church, and I've heard this type of thing before. He says things like, worship, if you change the lyrics, some of those songs could be in the charts. You change the lyrics. For us, we might be thinking, oh, worship is a bit slow, it's a bit this, it's a bit that. But if you don't know God, maybe if you're searching after God or if you're new to it, it can be absolutely transformative. The type of worship that you think might be considered a little bit slow, a little bit whatever, to somebody who doesn't know God is, wow, people really sing like that to God? So we're to trust God, we're to have confidence in God and confidence in the gospel and we're not putting our confidence in what it looks like. Most of us probably weren't saved. I certainly wasn't saved in a church that could in any way be considered really, really sort of lively and happy. I was saved in a Baptist church and it was, I remember the old lady in the Baptist church who used to give me the sweets every week. That's what I remember about the Baptist church, yeah? I remember falling asleep and my mum used to tie me in the chair because I'd run around otherwise. I, used to, I remember going to this Baptist church, yeah? And it wasn't, it wasn't the most exciting place in the world in any way, shape or form. But do you know what? I met God there. If my mum had said, hmm, oh, there's no point in taking him to that church. He's never going to meet God there. I need to take him to a church where it's really... No. You just don't know. Whosoever believes... <laughs> The gospel, it's like this idea that the, that the seed gets scattered. You just don't know. So then don't speculate. So I say that because for some of us, there's a hurdle in our minds about where we take our friends. Oh, you know, I've got these precious friends. Where am I going to bring them to find Jesus? Well, okay. Okay, my church doesn't preach heresy, but it does other things that I'm not so happy about. Like, oh, well, sometimes the worship can be a bit slow. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, don't bring your friends then, just in case. No, we need to be a little bit more open-handed and a little bit more trusting, not of ourselves, but of God. As a church, we will do our best to try and make church what church can be for people and help people, remove distractions. That's one of the things we're trying to do. But your friends need the gospel. They need to hear about Jesus. And some of them, if they hear about Jesus, they will respond to him. And you don't know which ones they will be. You just don't know, because you don't know where God is working. So trust God with them, and then invite them to church, to Alpha, to Christmas, to a particular sermon series, or whatever it is that we're doing. Trust God with them. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.